Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 186 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc where if you go to their website right now and enter your email into their mailing list, they send you a free treat of the week every Thursday. Always, always great stuff. By the way, speaking of great stuff, the new Smoky Grass Boys and the We Love You Django releases, I got those. I listened to those on the way up to Michigan and back, and they're incredible. So go to Acoustic Disc now, and also don't forget to check out the Acoustic Encounters podcast with David Grisman and Danny Barnes. Hope everybody is doing well. Once again, glad to be back. Boy, what a what a rough couple weeks since the beginning of May here. Um, once again, I want to thank everybody for all the well wishes and for reaching out for the loss of my aunt. It's definitely a tough one. You know, those are never easy, but, um, you know, she is just a huge part of our family my entire life. So I uh, just wanted to uh, thank everybody for reaching out. It really helped out. So thank you. All right. This episode is with Phil Barker from Town Mountain. I highly recommend if they're playing uh, in your neck of the woods to go see them. They're so incredible live. Their their new album, Lines in the Levy, is also incredible. There's links below. Uh, also, links to all the songs and where to get them uh, on this episode of the podcast are down below, too. So, And links to my sponsors. So let's get into my sponsors real quick. Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. Who, you ask? Well, how about Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, and Ian Curry. Everything from beginner to advanced. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, and you get the first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And boy, do they have a cool announcement coming up here. Stick around for that. Ear Trumpet Labs, hand-built microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. Roger Simonoff gets a little shout out here for his Simonoff strings as uh, Phil uses the straight up strings. Hear every note of every chord, that's the tagline because Roger has put so much time and thought to all the different things that make strings vibrate, the angles, the bridge compensation, all of it. And if you go to straightupstrings.com, you can read all about it and more. You can also get yourself 10% off, not just strings, but books. And he's got a brand new book on Lloyd Lore coming out here in July. Just go there to straightupstrings.com and use the promo code MANDOBEER, all caps, at checkout. LS Mandolins, hand-built mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Tone Slabs, I got a few more of the uh, Darth Tone picks coming, man. I love them. I'll tell you what, I've been using them like crazy, and you can use them as well. They've got all the shapes and sizes that you'd want. They even take suggestions. Bevels, no bevels, they can do it all. David and Frank are crushing it at Toneslabs.com. So go over to Toneslabs.com right now and get yourself a slab of tone and elderly instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're in their 50th year, going into their 50th, 51st year in July. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. All right, let's get into our episode with Phil here from Town Mountain. Had a great time talking with him. Actually, uh, after I put this up online, I'm going to go and hunt for that beer. It looks like they might have some just a few miles away, and I'm looking forward to trying it. So, well, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. If you're in Charleston, South Carolina, I have a pretty busy weekend of gigs. I've got two brunch gigs Saturday and Sunday at my normal Prohibition on King Street. I've got the full 
Quartet playing at New Realm Brewing on Saturday afternoon, 4 to 7 p.m., and then a solo acoustic gig. That's just on guitar, um, but I'd love to see you at Palmetto Brewing. So, okay, cheers, everybody. Feel so strange Kicking around the town of my youth I was never gonna stay Always hated the truth The faces in the street All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Phil Barker. Phil, how's it going? Uh, going pretty good, Daniel. How you doing today? Doing good, man. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk. You just got back from a pretty sweet gig. Uh, Yeah, we just got back from playing... Uh, telluride bluegrass for the first time and we're blown away by the experience man and I, I appreciate you having me on here it's a you know it's an honor given all the other guests you've had so I'm, I'm glad to be here talking with you oh man i'm glad to have you here i got to see you guys i've seen you guys like a few different times over mm -hmm. the years and then really got to see you guys and um at the uh um mule fest was it mule fest? bird fest bird fest yeah bird batting a thousand bird. today <laughs> At Bird, Bird the Mule. <laughs> yes, Bird the Mule. Birdfest. Uh, and you guys just blew my mind. What a tight right band. I appreciate that. We've been at it for a little while, so um, it's it's nice to hear you say that. So did you do other gigs besides Telluride on the run out there, or did you just go out for Telluride? Uh, we did one other gig. We played over up at the E-Town Hall in Boulder. Oh, and, cool. Uh, yeah, we didn't. It wasn't a radio show, but we got to play the hall, which is an amazing little acoustically treated room. And the highlight was getting to meet Nick Forrester, and he he let me jam on some of his instruments backstage. Uh, what a nice guy that guy is! Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, so it was a great experience. Loved that little room, and and then we uh, we flew home after that. But we were in Telluride for four four days, so we had a full Colorado experience out there. And, it was a blast. Man. Oh man! And besides playing the main stage, any other highlights? Uh, playing the first grass party on Wednesday. Oh no way! <laughs> it's up in Mountain Village, and and the stage they set up out in the little uh, pavilion up there, and man, those people were ready to party, and, <laughs> and it was you know free event, so it was a great crowd, and and uh, we had a blast, man. Yeah, those people, they're ready to party the day the tickets go on sale. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. They're, they're fired true. up from the minute they buy those tickets. And oh, that's so cool, man. So you uh, you live in Asheville currently. Did you grow up in Asheville or North Carolina? Uh, I actually grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, just, you know, about an hour and a half south of where I'm at now. But uh, I've been in Asheville going on 20 years now. So it's definitely home at this point. Lots of great players up there too. Oh man, that's why that's why I moved here. That's why everybody in Town Mountain moved here. You know, it's like we were. You know, I grew up in Greenville, and there were some great pickers there. But for some reason, there was just this scene in Asheville where where a lot of people were into bluegrass that were my age, and and uh, it was just a vibrant you know jam scene and picking parties every night, and it, it was something I had to be a part of. How did you get into bluegrass music and mandolin in particular? Um, through the Grateful Dead. Oh, cool, man. No way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the gateway drug that is old and in the way. <laughs> right. I, had a I was taking guitar lessons. I guess this was in, uh, in college. And uh, <clears throat> my guitar teacher, I was trying to learn to flat fix and stuff. And then uh, she gave me a uh, old and in the way tape or CD. I can't remember. And anyway... I was hooked, man. I, I kind of started to dive to Grisman, to Sam Bush. Um, and, but I was really hooked on playing in a bluegrass band when I saw the Del McCurry band do one of those in-store performances that people used to do at the record store in town. And just like sitting five feet away from Ronnie McCurry, watching him blow my mind. And just like the whole, the bluegrass as a whole, band as a whole, just blew me away. And I was hooked.
Was there a good crowd for that? Because bluegrass is like one of those genres that, you know, right now it's riding a killer wave of popularity for, for you know, with like Billy Strings and, and you guys and, and, and things like that. But was it a good crowd back then when you saw Del McCurry band? Um, it wasn't packed. I was, you know, it was in a it was in a, a record store, man, you know, and uh, yeah, it was just probably a dozen, maybe two dozen people kind of standing around watching the one of the best bluegrass bands of all time no big whoop yeah well that is wild <laughs> to me man it's it yeah. they play such massive stages now um yeah but you know just to such a legend you know um, del mccurry is it's crazy to think that yeah no doubt and and then come full circle where he was on our flight home from telluride and i got to sit in the you know while we're waiting on our flight and chat with him for a second and and uh just the whole band such nice guys wow that's yeah. incredible man Dell is such a sweet human being oh, <laughs> it's, it's gosh, insane like the nicest granddad ever right and still killer hair <laughs> and still killer hair and killer musician man it, and voice it, it's he's a he's a marvel of nature no doubt yeah it's a trip to listen to like those old recordings like even recordings when he's playing with bill monroe because his voice it doesn't i mean obviously it's probably lost a little bit but it doesn't seem like it at all when you hear it no now no, even you're like wow unbelievable even at even at you know nine thousand feet man he was crushing <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh so how, how long had you been playing guitar before you transitioned over to mandolin uh uh, maybe four or five years, you know, I was mostly like playing electric guitar and just kind of, kind of got into acoustic guitar a little bit, you know, and, um, you know, got into the Grateful Dead and then, you know, that kind of led the journey. But so I was kind of had the mechanics a little bit of a flat pick. So I understood that part, but, um, yeah, just kind of jumped right into the whole, I was just drawn into the rhythmic side of it, man. And just kind of jumped in head first and, haven't looked back <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness yeah now did you continue taking lessons on mandolin with the same teacher or did you just kind of self uh, self-search well no i was still like uh taking guitar lessons because i was still pursuing that but um uh just kind of self-taught on on mandolin i you know i bought that bill monroe box set i had like four it was cassettes i had a four that four cassette um uh, Bill Monroe, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, I would just crank on that thing, man, and rewind and try to figure stuff out. And so I kind of self-taught through through that. And I've taken some lessons over the years to try to refine things, but uh, mostly self-taught on Mando. That's cool. It, th that's uh, the cassette days, man. That's uh, I, I started, <laughs> I played guitar in the cassette days, but I, I started yeah. mandolin in like the CD days. And, 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 okay. and when you could actually like buy like a slow downer app for like a hundred dollars, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just, uh, just the thought of rewinding and trying to get to the spot you've been waiting for and not being able to slow it down. Whew, that's a lot of work. Yeah, I, I do love the amazing slowdowner, though. I'm not gonna lie. Oh yeah, man, for sure. Like, and and again, who's got that much time? I mean, to, yeah. to sit down, especially now being adults. Yeah. And <laughs> yep, no doubt. What were some of the tunes that you started working on when you first started playing, and then were like, "Oh man, I I can play this song." You know, you could take it to a jam and be like, "I know what I'm gonna call out." Oh man, old home place, the Skags break. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, dude, that was my jam. Oh, that's a classic, man. And a tough one, B flat. Uh, well, usually I, I would you do it in A. Now. Yeah. All right. Right on. Yes. Yeah. I'd move it to A, but yeah, I loved that one, man. And, and, uh, gosh, that's what else? I had a couple, um, I mean, EMD, that was always one I loved to try to play, but, uh, yeah, that, the Skag stuff was, was really what drew me in. Yeah. And I just love that, that 
that swingy like 70s mandolin style man that he had and that the Dole has that was just such a unique thing to me you know it's a little bit jazzy but still kind of driving at the same time yeah big fan of that so when did you decide like man i'm gonna i'm gonna pursue music um it was about uh it was in the middle of an accounting class in college. <laughs> <laughs> i was like i uh yeah looked around just like man i cannot do this I'm, I got to try something else. I'm going to go insane. And, uh, you know, I just kind of like me and my, my buddy, Charlie, we, we kind of just started a band and tried to find as any gigs that would have us man, and, and just kind of still, was still try to work jobs on the side. Well, I had to work jobs on the side, but yeah, man, just kind of gradually shifted from doing other stuff to making music, the full-time gig, you know, and just, at some point you just have to commit to it, you know, as, as broke as you're going to be, like (laughs) you can't have, you got to go for it, man. If you want to make it happen, I feel like. I was hoping you were going to say it was after seeing uh, a dozen people see uh, watching Del McCurry and like, this is where the money is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, it was from looking at some very real alternatives that were staring me in the face at the moment. Yeah. I also uh, took accounting in, uh, it was like my background in, in college, like business accounting and, and bookkeeping and all that stuff. I'm like, Oh my God. Terrifying, (laughs) terrifying, man. (laughs) So at that point, you just were you still in the Greenville area? Uh, well, I was in I was in school in in uh, Columbia at USC. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I moved back to Greenville where my, my buddy Charlie was living, and, and uh, yeah, he and I started playing around there, and kind of would go up to Ash, come up to Asheville, and and just like always notice how how awesome the music scene was up here, and would constantly be coming to shows and, and all this cool stuff was happening. So made the move from Greenville up to Asheville and been here ever since. So how long was it that you were, you know, you moved to Asheville, like how mm-hmm. long did it take you to kind of like get into the scene and start getting gigs? Cause that's always a tough part of, you know, going to a new city. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it, it took, God, it took probably six months we picked up like a weekly gig just north of just north of town that would pay us a hundred bucks and a and two large pizzas which was like (laughs) manna from heaven yeah that was once a week man and uh um you know just picking it up through going to the jams and just meeting people like just you just jumping in that's the great thing about bluegrass music in general it's like you all kind of have the same canon of music that you know or songs that you know and you can jump into a jam and meet people and it goes from there so yeah it's just you know putting yourself out there and and putting in the legwork and trying to play all the the dumpy bars you can to get it going man that's what we did Oh gosh, this was probably two thousand five and six. And what year was all this six. happening for you? Okay, so the first the first Tom Mountain album comes out in about two thousand eight. Heroes and Heretics. The first one that I was on, there was one prior to that oh, that okay. I wasn't part of the band at the time. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's called Original Bluegrass or something like that. And uh, yeah, so I joined them in 2000. I went on their first tours in like 2007 with them. And uh, yeah, we made that record in 2008. Yeah. So how did you meet up with the Town Mountain guys? I mean, obviously going through these jams and stuff like that. But so they were already established an established act when you when you were well, out there somewhat they had done some quasi tours slash vacations out west and like <laughs> uh lived on the road for a minute and uh 
they had a couple of tours coming up and their mandolin player just bailed or didn't want to do them or had something else going on. And so it just started out as like filling in for him for a couple of runs. And then it just clicked. It just worked, man. We just had a great time on the road and, and uh, that's half the battle, you know, it's finding people you can travel with. So yeah, it just went from there and we all had kind of the same kind of ideas about music and the same ideas of like, what we wanted the band to be. So it was a pretty natural transition for me. And then the song I'm on fire is on that album. Yeah. I got a bad desire which is, I mean, I'm looking at the Spotify numbers, uh, which pay, I'm sure, amazingly, uh, for these 18,393,249 plays. 18 million. That's just on Spotify, man. Like, like the real, yeah, that, that song, it's crazy how that thing took off. I, I feel like, you know, we also got it in pretty early on the Pandora uh yeah the satellite radio and and uh, that's where a lot of people picked it up originally and then uh yeah it's kind of transitioned over to spotify as well so yeah it's crazy how people have latched on to that thing man but god bless them because it's kept us in business yeah and that was still at the time when people were buying they were still buying physical albums at that or physical yeah. cds at that point yeah and downloading and like all that stuff so that song's been really good for us. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, did you did you guys notice that pretty right away? Did it take a while for it to get picked up? I mean, how do, how does that look for you guys? Because that's I mean, that's like the rare gem in this in this bluegrass world. Like, to yeah, have, like, I mean, like, like, like a hit, <laughs> you know, I yeah, mean, it right? is a hit. Comparatively to the rest of our stuff, it is a hit. Um, so, yeah, I, it was kind of I mean, people dug the song right off right out of the gate when we played it live and they definitely dug it on the record so but it was kind of gradual just because all these all these streaming and 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 satellite radio things were coming just becoming into the mainstream so it kind of was at the same time as those things coming along so it was kind of gradual but it definitely picked up steam probably i don't know seven years ago or something like that did you guys have you guys ever got to meet Bruce Springsteen? No, unfortunately, we haven't. Oh, that's that's, that's got to happen. It seems like <laughs> it seems like you know. I had to. I definitely have cut him a couple checks for mechanical royalties. <laughs> I, <bet. laughs> I was wondering if I could just like make the check out to the boss if they would <laughs> if they would cash that. But I, I've definitely written checks to Bruce Springsteen for you know ninety one dollars for a thousand copies of. <laughs> he was in heretics and mailed it to his management. So I don't know. Never gotten to meet meet the meet him though, unfortunately. I'm sure there's man, there's probably two dozen covers of that song that are doing better than eighteen million streams, honestly. But but we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. So then you also probably got to see the era of selling tons of merch. Uh, CDs, I should say. I shouldn't qualify it all into merch, but like um, I think a lot of musicians kind of went through that phase of like, wow, well, you know, you're, it's gas money to the next gig. It's hotel money. It's food money. Right. And, and then you go to the merch table and, you know, it's one guy buying the CD for five friends that they'll burn it for. Or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely seen the transition where it's like, I mean, we sell twice, if not three times as much vinyl as we do CDs. We, you know, hardly even order cds anymore you know we just keep a you know a couple dozen on hand that usually gets us through you know so it's like the transition has definitely happened and i've also seen it noticed it significantly on the songwriter side man just because you know mechanical royalties don't get paid out much anymore so it changes that whole uh, equation as well but you, you move on and you adapt. So we just don't order as many CDs now, yeah, <laughs> but, right. people, but, but thank God for vinyl. People still buy tons of vinyl. So 
that's been really good to see that recent resurgence at least do you have all of the uh the old albums all of like the whole catalog on vinyl now or do you kind of have to pick and choose uh yeah we just have our last two releases on vinyl uh, i'd love to go back and redo everything but you know you gotta pay for remastering and redoing the artwork and got to cut bruce springsteen another check <laughs> right. you know all the all the steps have kind of and vinyl's tough to get right now but uh yeah so we just have the two but um it's been really cool like with this latest release we've kind of you know been able to do a bunch of cool like vinyl variations and cool stuff like that the new west has helped us with so that's been cool to see oh yeah like what kind of variations have you done well, just the different, I mean, it's kind of silly, but just the different color variations of, of, of the record. And like, it's just been cool to see just somebody who digs checking out vinyl. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's silly at all. I think it's, I, I love all that variant stuff. I think it's incredible and it's, yeah, it's smart if you like, especially for big fans, uh, you know, of the band, I mean, you get a collector who wants to be like, oh man, I should probably get them in all the variants to a have, but to also support support my favorite band you know yeah like we did a north carolina variant that was you know tar heel blue that we just sold in like north carolina uh, record stores and through a, a certain facebook group you know so it's just been some unique ways to get yourself out there yeah that's really cool let's talk a little bit about this this lines and levy album it's on it's on new west records having a record label now as we've been kind of talking about the the changes in the industry and different things like that what was like you know with signing with the label what are some of the things that you feel like it's kind of helped you out with because you do a lot of uh, we should mention we were talking before this you you were very involved in the everyday <laughs> everyday workings so, yeah. of this band <laughs> very very much so there's a lot a lot of a lot of work moving parts and, and i take care of a lot of it but i would say you know the biggest thing that New West has helped us out with is just, you know, kind of giving us a bigger team that, that helps with, um, you know, playlist curating, like getting on playlists on Spotify. That's a huge deal. Um, and just helping us like streamline our getting our vinyl production in line and just getting like all these little steps that, that, that add up over the course of an <laughs> album release, you know, and they just help streamline that. And and then just the association of being with that roster of the artists on, on New West has been really cool. And we've gotten to meet a lot of great people and a lot of great bands through them. So it's just been like as much of a networking thing as well as, you know, having an experienced marketing and distribution team. Yeah, that's great. Congrats yeah, on that. That's been great. Thank you. And you, what percentage of the songs do you write? Because I know, I know you write the tune, you write some of the tunes anyway. And so how does, yeah. you know, how, how much do you write and how much has that changed for you too, as well from, you know, from way back 2008, you know, when that, right. if you first joined up with them to 2022. Yeah. I would say, you know, on the first record I did with town mountain, I had maybe two tracks that I had written. Um, and on this latest release, I, I wrote probably, let's see, six of the songs. Jesse wrote four and Robert wrote one. So it's a, a little higher, higher of a percentage. Um, 
but uh, it's it's generally like we generally just want to play the best material. So it doesn't really matter who wrote what. But at the end of the day, I've, I don't know, for some reason, I just, well, I had a little more time on my hands over the pandemic and, and <laughs> wrote a few, had a larger batch of songs to bring to the table. But uh, yeah, it's just been kind of a gradual evolution in the band. And, and uh, we're super proud of where of this latest release. It's a great album. It's a great album. Thanks, I man. listened to it even more. I listened to it when it first came out. I also mm-hmm. got a chance to, after seeing you guys live driving back from cool. um, Birdfest, listen to it on the ride home. And I'm like, man, this is, but you guys, I mean, you have a bunch of consistent stuff and I really love you're, you're playing when you, when you mentioned Ronnie McCurry and that Bill Monroe mm-hmm. uh, going back, especially and listening to pre pre interview and listen to some of these tunes, you got a really killer old school Monroe style uh, oh, and you're thanks, playing, man. man, like the some of the kickoffs and um and, and the solos and stuff like a very bluesy based uh, stuff, which I love. Definitely. That's definitely a huge part of my influence. And, you know, I came from playing like electric guitar. So a lot of those blues riffs transfer directly for me. It's like I play a, a lot of Chuck Berry stuff on the mandolin, you know? And so like, that's, that's just what the way I like to hear it. So that's why I, I try to play it. You know, it's uh, I like to have it with a little bit of edge and drive and energy. You're coming from guitar into mandolin, and I think yeah. that's like probably the biggest transition. I think most most guitar yeah. players end up picking up a mandolin at some point. What are some of the things totally. that you found? Because you're a great player. I mean, what are some tips that you know maybe people listening who might have just picked one up or have been thinking about it? What are some tips you would give them that would that that playing lends over? Like you know, you mentioned those Chuck Berry riffs, which are really just Bill Monroe riffs. <laughs> exactly, man. It's all full circle. Um, yeah. So like. I would say, you know, utilize the downstroke, you know, the downstroke is a big part of playing electric guitar um, and, and doing a lot of those blues licks. So, I, you know, I, I love, that's probably 50% of my playing is downstrokes um, and double stuff. Like if I was going to have a podcast, it would be downstrokes and double stops. <laughs> that's like all I do. So that's like, great, man. Yeah. So like, I would say, you know, if, embrace the downstroke and, 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 you know, a lot of people is, and, you know, the alternate picking is, is essential, no question, but I would say there's a lot of energy and, and, uh, and getting the timing of your downstroke, right. And, um, that, that was a big eye opener for me and, and just something that I've really latched onto. Yeah. You nail it. Um, it's, it's so cool, man. Some of the, again, like some of the kickoffs that up the, up the ladder, I think is the one I'm thinking of. That's got yeah, just a totally, totally killer Monroe style <laughs> kickoff. Sunday and you're gonna stay late. Please, please, sir, now don't you do it to me. I need to get some rest and be with my lady. He smiled and said, You ain't got no sense matter. Shut your old mouth. Yeah, man. Yeah, I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so now though, you 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 guys add a drummer, um mm-hmm. and you added the drummer. Um well actually you did the was it the dead sessions? Was that the first time you guys oh, recorded yeah. with a uh with a drummer? Probably with the full kit. Yeah. yeah. You know, we kind of dabbled in having, we did a record with, uh, our Southern Crescent record was produced by Dirk Powell. And Dirk, and Dirk played snare on, on a lot of stuff on that, or maybe not a lot of stuff, maybe four tracks. And we've always, and Mike Ashworth actually from the Rangers played drums on our record before that. Um, just a snare. But, uh, so yeah, we've kind of always kind of dabbled in it, but, yeah, I would say Dead Sessions was probably the first time we fully embraced the drums. And then, 
you know, we met Miles Miller kind of in that when we were before we were getting ready ready to record uh, New Freedom Blues, and and definitely wanted to make music with that guy, man. After we jammed with him, so uh, got him in on full kit, and then we've kind of just been moving that way ever since. By the way, I w- want to point out your solo in Big River is killer as well. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. swingy style man how does that change your role as a mandolin player in the band you know you you don't you're not so reliant on the chop now necessarily totally after probably spending years (laughs) perfecting a chop (laughs) it's it's tricky man there's a lot you have to be conscious of like you don't want to be stepping on the the strumming that the guitar is doing and you don't want to you got to be locked in with what with where the, the snare is happening in the kit. Um, so it, it takes some work. I usually try to find my a rhythmic spot in between the guitar and the, and the snare. Um, something that maybe, you know, this gets back to the, back to electric guitar, you know, something like that you would maybe play on just a couple strings, you know, just kind of a little groove thing that just fits into the rhythm and adds to it. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a dance, but, it's a lot of fun too. It's a lot of pressure off of me <laughs> to keep, keep, you know, if like there's not that huge dropout when the mandolin solo comes and the chop kind of changes instruments, you know? So it's like, it, it has its advantages and disadvantages, but uh, overall it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Did you listen to any other styles or any other bands at that time when you guys you made that conscious decision like wow we're gonna go in the studio with a with a drummer now it's kind of changes some things did you did you do any homework or was it just kind of natural feeling to you because you've been in with the other guys so long yeah it was it was pretty natural and and you know miles is so well versed in bluegrass he knows all the jd crow stuff you know we actually did a one halloween we played um uh, homing in the hall of fame album front to back at the station Inn, and we had miles play drums on that whole with us the whole night i mean he just knows all that bluegrass quote-unquote bluegrass drumming um historically so like him getting in the studio with us was a no-brainer and, and it was super easy and so that we kind of got we're lucky enough to have that be our, our jumping off point and our new our new drummer Devin is is equally as familiar at this point with with all that kind of stuff, and we're uh, having a lot of fun with it. He's a great guy too. I got to uh, raid the kitchen with oh, yeah. him and Zach at the uh, Bird Fest. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, he's a great dude. That was a lot of fun, man. Man, you guys, I, you know, you guys played Red Rocks. Um, mm-hmm. You know the the Telluride. What's what's it like to uh, you know again like played dive bars man you know you did the, yeah. all the work it, it, oh, yeah. what's, what's it like to you you know i mean the, play the 50th anniversary of telluride to play red rocks and look out and people are losing their minds you know yeah how, how, how's that transition feel and 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 how do you approach it like from playing wise because you definitely have to probably change your approach a little bit from playing to 25 yeah. people to you know thousands of them yeah no doubt it's it's super rewarding man i'm you know i'm super grateful and super thankful i just you know standing up on that stage you know it's been a goal of ours for so long for so long we've been trying to get into that festival and make it happen and we finally did and just stand on that stage and and have that moment i mean i just couldn't help but smile man you look out at all the mountains and all the people just like totally there for the music and totally into what you're doing and and uh it's super gratifying, super rewarding, and and uh, it's what we're all after is just to have those moments where you connect with this many, all these people in this great place, this beautiful time. So like, it's been amazing, and 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 you're right that you do have to change uh, the way you play a little bit. You can relax, honestly, a little <laughs> more because you're not trying to play over people as much because you you know you know they're 
there for the music and they're there for what you're doing. So I, it's just been super rewarding and I can't wait to see what's next. I mean, dude, you guys yeah. are like just one of the hardest working bands out there. You guys have been road dogs for years and for years, years man. man. Years. Uh-huh. You know, it's really cool to see like people like yourselves being rewarded, like nice guys, great band, hard workers, I, you know, that's it's the way it I, should be. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. And, and uh, yeah, you're right. We, we put in, we put in the miles and, but we love it at the same time. So it's like, it can it can be work, but it's it's also super rewarding when when things like Telluride happen. Taking that mindset of of playing in front of that many people, because again, a lot of people listening to this podcast, maybe they get maybe they haven't played a gig yet, or you know maybe they're getting ready to play like their first gig. Mm-hmm. And again, playing in front of twenty people for your first time ever playing is is kind of likened to playing in front of thousands of people as far as nerves go. And what's some advice mm-hmm. you would give players? that maybe get like the stage fright or, you know, um, it's real easy to tense up. And next thing you know, right. you, you know, you can't feel your fingers cause you're squeezing your hands so tight. Oh man. That's a very real thing that, you know, I, I still, still deal with that myself. Um, my, my, the way that I'd usually deal with it is find that one person in the crowd that is really dancing or really getting down or really there'll, there'll be one, there'll be one that's the most into the music and just, I focus on them and I try not to like stare at them weirdly, but <laughs> right, yeah. it's easier with a big crowd, but like, I just find that connectivity with the one person that's way into it and let that be my jumping off point and, and not get bogged down on anything else that may be going on in the room. You, you know, you're just trying to make a moment for, for the people that are there. So find that one person that's, that's on your level and, uh, start from there and 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 as soon as you can get past that and as soon as you can get to the place where you're in the moment and enjoying it and relaxed it'll spread and and it'll build from there so but at the end of the day you know i also like to just put in the work so that i i know and i'm confident in what i'm doing and i know the material and all you have to do then is just play that's a great segue because my next question is being as hardworking as your band is, how do you maintain learning and, and prepping when it's, you know, when you've got a tech, you know, drive or hotel rooms? Right. Yeah. How do you work on yeah. it? Yeah. It's tough when you're on the road in the middle of it, you know, cause there's not a lot of time, but when we get off the road, um, we generally have a couple, at least a couple days two or three days during the week when we're at home and, you know, I, I have my personal kind of practice regimen that I like to do daily um, to, you know, even if it's only 30 minutes just to kind of get the mandolin under my fingers for the day. Um, I always try to do that. And as a band, you just have to schedule it. You just have to make it as part It's just as important as the gig, if not more. So it's like a day of rehearsal or, three hours of rehearsal before we leave or something like that. Just got to get every, get everybody on the same page and, uh, and, and, and make it a point, you know, it's, it's, it's a big part of the whole deal. So you got to make it that way. And and that's what we try to do. I'd, I'd love to hear your daily routine. I am always trying to find better ways to put a routine together. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I do, um, these uh chris henry exercises they're kind of uh that's kind of like the first 15 or 10 or 15 minutes of my rehearsal i mean of my warm-up and then my practice um it's just kind of it's, it's going through i mean the the left hand is not as important as what it's doing on the right hand you know you're just doing a, a single down up on each string and then it's a triplet and then there's, um, you know, a couple different patterns in conjunction with the left hand that you do. And it's just a good way of getting warmed up, getting my fingers going. And then I generally have, you know, a couple, uh, I play some solos of mine that I'm going to be playing that weekend. I, I have generally have my solos kind of worked out, at least in a framework. So I like to, you know, get, you know, obviously get the metronome and, and try to 
just get those under my fingers uh, as best I can. And then depending on how much time I have left, I'm generally looking at, at trying to learn a new fiddle tune or a solo. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of the basis of, of my practice regimen, you know, with a little more downtime, I, I might go deeper on any one of those aspects, you know? So it, that's generally how I split it up. What are the, the, what's the last fiddle tune and the last solo that you've kind of been working on? Oh man, that's a good question. The last fiddle tune was, um, to go back and look at my notes, man. Oh, I was actually looking on. It's not even a fiddle tune, man. It's uh, it's actually off of that that old uh, uh, Doyle Lawson uh, rec- instrumental record he did back in, I guess, it's the seventies. That tune, uh, "Happy Go Lucky." It's, it's kind of i just love i love that record it's just so bouncy man I, I i try to like find a tune on there that just i can really lock in on that 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 bouncy rhythm that that, that all his solos seem to have somehow it's amazing um so yeah that that's one i've been working on um i've also been just going back and and um yeah, let's see. What are some other ones I've been working on? I love that you, that you take notes too. I do the same thing because I would be, I could, I couldn't even if I didn't look at my notes right now on my iPad, I couldn't tell you what I worked on Monday. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, oh uh, yeah. And last week I was working on, you know, so I just go back and do the ones I've done a thousand times, like Jerusalem Rich. I just just go back and throw the metronome on and think you know it so well <laughs> until you sit down <laughs> yeah. and try to, you know, man, it's just basic you know basic stuff but uh yeah i I just try to keep at least have a fiddle tune that that i I can get through uh, with each practice you play by the way your fiddle player is incredible too man holy moly oh yeah body yeah body and holy cow (laughs) yeah he's he's good isn't he yeah man you ever uh pick his brain for some uh for some licks or has he ever given you any any cool advice that you've been like, oh, I can use this now? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely helped me um, just like some metronome techniques and, and just like some some he got me into back into the amazing slow downer, um, which helps, you know, just slow and, you know, getting songs to where you can pick them apart like we were talking about earlier without having to just rewind the cassette. <laughs> right. You know, so, yeah. And Bobby, I've he and I would try to figure out the way certain licks are the way certain licks go. Like we were working on a, a tune called Flannery's reel, you know, he would just help me like get the exact fingering the way the fiddle, the fiddle's doing it, you know? So like it's been generally stuff like that, but he's a great resource for all things musical. Really, man. He's such a talented guy. Uh, let's talk about gear a little bit. Let's uh, what's sure. your, what's your main X man. I've been playing the same, uh, uh, Kimball F5 for about, gosh, I got it in 2007, right when I started playing with Town Mountain. So, yeah, 16 years now. Wow, nice. Yeah, I, I love that mandolin, dude. It's a, it's been a big part of my development as a musician and really a development of my sound. You know, you kind of develop with the instrument. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to met Will once after I got the mandolin, you know, I kind of reached out to him and he's been such a <clears throat> great resource for me and a great friend and giving me good advice and, and, uh, with the instrument. And, and, uh, I had a two point of his for a while that I had to sell during the pandemic, but oh no, yeah, he's this F five is, is, a it's a great one, man. It's actually the second one he ever built. It's number 18. Get out of here. Yeah. It's an old one, man. And, uh, built in, finished in 2002 or three i think so it's had a little it's got a little age to it which is which is nice you know because it's got a nice 
deep woody tone that that uh, really resonates with me. Yeah, his mandolins sound great, man. Yeah, they really do. It's kind of amazing how how he's got it dialed in to where it's so so consistent from instrument to instrument. It's pretty pretty profound. And some, I mean, some of them are like Gugino. Mike Gugino's is one that's particularly. Uh, responsive and, and articulate and nice, and, but they're all super consistent, man. Everyone that I've played, I'm like, yeah, I like this. I could use this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah, every time I see them in like a music store, I'm like, oh man, these just sound so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's hard to hard to put them down for sure. Where did you get that? Did you buy it in Asheville? Uh, I actually bought it at the Old Gruens. Oh, no and, way. Yeah, downtown Nashville. I went, you know, I'd saved up the money which took a while at the time. And, and, uh, my dad, me, my dad, and my dog <laughs> went, on a, <laughs> went great. on a mandolin journey. Um, uh, we stopped at, uh, what's that instrument store in Pigeon Forge. I uh, can't, I'm drawing a blank, but we've, I played a few nice Ellis mandolins down there. And then I went up to Nashville and went to the Gibson factory and played a bunch of Sam Bush models. I thought that's what I wanted. I thought that was what I was going to end up with. And then <clears throat> went to Gruen's, and this one was just hanging on the wall and I was just going down and hitting chops and I hit the chop on this thing. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's, this is the one I want. I just knew, I mean, honestly, man, that day, I just, I knew that was of the men ones I played. That was the one that was going to work for me. You know, I thought that was a, the same way with those Sam Bush signature models myself. And I, yeah. I swear the only ones that I've heard that I thought sounded like really, really good are the ones that, have been given away as contest prizes, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's like they saved, I, I shouldn't say they saved the good ones, but it's just like every yeah. one of those that I've ever played that I've been like, that sounds really good. It's been owned by someone who won it in a mandolin playing contest. But, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what that is. Yeah. Those early ones they came out with, man, I guess, I don't know. I'd only played a couple and, and like through the course of that day, I played a bunch, but yeah, they didn't have what the Kimball had. No. Yeah. yeah, those Kimbles are, are something special. What do you uh, string it up with? Uh, I use the uh, the J74s. I got, I've gone back and forth. I've, I've used the Seminoff strings for a while, which were, which were really nice. I like the, the heavier um, A and, and, and D string on that. But, yeah, I just, I just use the, the 74s or 75s. Nothing, nothing special. The old stand, old standards. Right, right. How about, <laughs> how about picks? Uh, I use the blue chip, and uh, I order the forty, but I I ask them to make it a thirty-five. So I have a, these blue chip thirty-fives, just a little bit thinner. Oh wow! Yes, yeah, the TAD like triangle shape, which I like a lot. Um, but I like them a little bit thinner, just for rhythmic purposes. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, it's so wild the uh, the variance in pick sizes that so many different players use. That uh, you know, everybody about that I've had on this podcast just sounds incredible in my ears, and it's really wild to hear like the variance in pick thickness. So much, yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, you think there would be one thing that that would work for everyone, <laughs> right? Not so. Not so not at all. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about when you play live now, because your live sound was also really, really great. And that to awesome. me as a mandolin player is uh, the toughest <laughs> to do. I mean, dude, I've, you know, I've seen plenty of great players who live maybe didn't sound like their tone definitely didn't sound like the album, you know, and yeah. it's just, yeah. it's, and it's not a slight on them. It's just, it's tough to make an, a mandolin sound like a mandolin live. No, no question. And it seems like a never ending search and quest. <laughs> yeah. So what is, yeah. What is your, what is your setup? Um, I go through a, a Grace uh, Felix preamp. Um, I'm only using one channel of it, but really it's just about, for me, it's just, it's just been about really dialing in the EQ on the, on the Felix. Um, I generally roll off most of the high end, and uh, some of the some of the mid range, where I get the most feedback around three fifteen or something. And this is just on my mandolin, so I've just kind of been. It's just through years of of trial and error and EQ. <laughs> I finally get it to a place. I got it to a place that I really like, and and it's just a it's 
it's just been really it's really consistent and i love the the grace um preamps man they're so nice and so well built and uh and then i, I generally add a little bit of reverb on that and uh and call it good unless i want to add some effects which i've kind of started doing once we added drums you know kind of gave me a room to explore a little bit of delay or some phase and and uh, that's been been really fun as well yeah what are those what are the pedals that you've been that you've been liking on the board uh, uh one thing i really love that it's been really cool is using the lex um rotary speaker um it's like a it's like a leslie emulator um and and it's made by Strymon, who makes amazing pedals. Um, and that thing worked. I, you know, I originally had it for my like electric guitar rig, but I just threw it on there just to see, and and it really works well with an acoustic mandolin. For some reason, it just like it gives this really warm kind of keyboard sound that, that you know we had keyboards on our record, so it helps me kind of uh, imitate that and. Uh, I've been really loving the way that sounds. And I, I recently got a Strymon Flint, which is kind of like the tremolo slash reverb pedal. And again, man, just so many options on that pedal and, and great, great tone. And, and the tremolo has been really cool to play with that. And, and then I throw a, a boss, uh, a boss old analog phaser on there, which, you know, we've done a couple songs that are kind of like Wayland outlaw type vibes so i can throw that on and um get funky you know? <laughs> <laughs> what um what do you use to a- amplify the uh, mandolin itself oh uh, i've got the uh the k and k internal transducers yeah so that's there's a nice and super clean I, I will say they they are pretty sensitive with with drums and with amps you know because when you put those transducers on there essentially it turns the whole top into a microphone and it wants to pick up everything. So I have to, you know, stay f- facing forward, <laughs> Don't turn around and try to jump on the drums, man. Cause it'll, it'll start feeding back a little bit. Right. Oh man. So maybe for the, my, you know, I might try out the, uh, whatever the bridge, uh, I don't know if that, a, is that a fishman pickup? The one that goes in the bridge. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I might have to try that out at some point to try to alleviate that. But as far as tone and signal goes, those those K and K transducers are amazing. Your mandolin, even with the effects at um, Birdfest, I mean, I mean, it still sounded like a mandolin. It sounded like a mandolin with effects on it. Awesome. Yeah, and it sounded great, man. I mean, you know, you're talking cool. outdoor festival stage. Not a lot of time between band changeovers. And yeah. um, I think that says a lot about somebody's like setup and rig, because if you can just go up there and pretty quickly make that happen and sounds natural still, that's a, that's a big, that's a big win. Well, I appreciate that, man. It's a lot of work going, oh, <laughs> going man. into that. A lot of trial and error, as you know. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How long have you been using the grace for? You, you've been kind of like an early, uh, early Ye- player of that, right? Yeah, I've I've been on the Grace for a while now. I want to say it's probably I got mine in 2017, maybe 18. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. And uh, back when they would still give you an artist deal if you're playing <laughs> one out, you know, <laughs> it's like everybody's got one. Man. Yeah, now they're like, if we gave everybody the artist deal, <laughs> we would... yeah, we'd have none left. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but. Yeah, it's just what a what a great pedal, man. What a great piece of equipment. So well built. I have had to replace one of the switches, but it popped off mid mid set one. Oh uh, no. On tour, which was pretty crazy. Oh no. Considering it was my boost button and it just oh, stayed geez. on boost. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh man. But other than that, it's been it's been a warhorse, man. It's done really well. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Grace. I was using the Bags Venue before that, which is a good pedal. But this one's been really great. Um, that reminds me of another. Um, I, I wanted to know if this was a true story or just great lyrics. But there's, uh, I believe it's um, Firebound Road. Shining in the market limelight Oh, but they 
it's an understandable mistake but uh yeah uh i don't know if i want to name the venue but it sure, was a pretty sure. prominent pretty prominent marquee i'll say that like <sighs> big big old marquee and we were super stoked to be playing this venue and, and you know we could show up to the gig and of course there it is up in lights <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those one of those things that kind of sticks with you like uh you know don't don't take yourself too serious at the end of the day do they at least did they change it yeah they changed <laughs> it oh, yeah, for sure we we made sure that happened but uh <laughs> yeah. i don't know I, I that song is just kind of like you you know just wanted to cover the bases in just a, a road song man being on the road and, and that's one one of the things that's happened to us and <laughs> yeah that's a great tune it's very relatable yeah <laughs> totally man <laughs> so um i got two more questions for you here uh the first one we talked a little bit about some of the technique and the things you warm up on and um but if you only had 10 minutes a day to work on something and uh you know to help help you become a better player what's something that you would work on absolutely right hand technique um that's something i'm working on currently you know it's kind of like reworking your golf swing a little bit or something like that i'm trying to like focus on on getting my right hand and you know in a little more wristy rather than i used to kind of have more of an open hand that kind of drug across the top of the mandolin but trying to focus on having a really strong uh, compact yet loose um right hand so i would i would turn the metronome on and and just focus on doing you know just even alternate strokes and then an even uh triplet just running through a scale any scale and uh just try to keep and get an even tremolo with the metronome that that honestly man I, I if you did i could do that for an hour easy just like i, I just can really zone out on it and i think it's a huge part of of being a mandolin player or musician in general that's trying to flat pick anything so yeah i would say a metronome and right hand technique that's a great one i love that i'm the same way i can zone out i'm sure my wife yeah. could attest to uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to that for you <laughs> yeah so totally. oh, are you gonna play a song or are you just gonna <laughs> yeah exactly what yeah do you do you stand up when you practice at all or do you sit down uh, I try to stand up. I try to stand up since I'm. That's the way I'm uh, playing on stage most of the time. I can't remember the last time we did a sit down gig, if ever. Uh, but yeah, um, I try to stand up. And then uh, the final question: Do you have a favorite beer? Oh man, the beer portion. Yeah, <laughs> you could have made this a bigger segment. Oh heck uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean. Uh, right now, I'm kind of into as summer's coming on, man. I'm trying to find some light beers and uh, Highland Brew. I'm, you know, we've got tons of breweries up here, so I'm trying all these different ones around town. And Highland just released a new IPA. Uh, it's called what's it called? Lower Lower Falls Lower Falls IPA. It's in the fridge currently. It's a nice, easy drinker, man. Super low alcohol percentage which is uh key for day drinking and <laughs> yes. uh that one's big i've been a big fan of that one I'll, uh sierra nevada Summerfest is always one that's, that's good around this time of year so yeah so i like all the light stuff there's a gateway kolsch got a french broad brewing up here that's nice so yeah i would say right now i'm into low alcohol percentages and uh easy drinking yeah man me too like I, I love a good ipa but i've had to dial it back just a little bit because i'm like man pants are getting snug what could possibly be going on <laughs> yeah well this highland lower falls is is really nice man it's a super light ipa man not heavy they might sell it down here possibly in charleston too that's pretty nearby I bet, yeah bottles or one of those beer stores will have it yeah, and check it out. I'll be on the quest for that this week. So nice, man, Phil. This has been great to have you on, and great talking with you, dude. It was great meeting you in May. Um, such a laid-back dude and great player. And hopefully, we can uh, next time you're in the Charleston area. I don't know how often you get down here, but we we could grab a beer or some lunch or something, man. That would be great. Yeah, I'd love to, man. Thank you so much for having me on this. You know, I 
it was worthwhile for anyone out there listening and you know i love the podcast man i listen to it all the time so oh, i wow. really appreciate it dude thanks yeah, so much sure. i really appreciate that yeah absolutely all right thanks so much to phil for doing the podcast thank you for listening be sure to head over to town mountain's website link down below tour date section is nice and full pick up that new album lines in the levee and we'll check you out next week cheers everybody